Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Tyler Brulé, thanks very much for coming on the Press Gazette podcast. Congratulations, 10th anniversary of Monocle. I remember well when it launched, uh, 2007. Uh, even then, when print was a lot more profitable than it is now, I remember thinking, this 250-page book about interna- uh, magazine about international foreign affairs is going to do well to keep going. Oh, well, who knew? But it seemed like a, a brave thing to do then. I mean, what, what possessed you? What, what, what motivated you to do it? I think we saw a number of things happening in the marketplace. And, and one was, even a decade ago, there was an erosion in print. We saw a number of publishers trying to do as much as they could on the printed page still. But, of course, they had the pressures of also wading into the digital world and and they weren't doing you know, neither was being done particularly well and and I felt that there was room to respond to that but I think the bigger thing was also just looking at the market uh, that you know, we saw that there was an international uh, you know, globally minded consumer who wasn't being spoken to and the traditional model was to do seven or eight different editions for that person in a variety of different languages and and our view was that actually you can just do one magazine do it very efficiently and um, and do it from a base in London, and that's that's what we started with, and here we are. But to your point, it was interesting. It was still even a decade ago, yeah. a really tough sell yeah. to raise money and to, to make this happen. And so year on, 2007, it wasn't too bad. We were, people were still pretty profitable then. Then we had the global financial meltdown. So was it tough to keep it going after that when when the shit really hit the fan, as it were? I mean, there were some very dark hours in 2008 for sure, and I can remember sitting in one or two board meetings thinking uh, the pile of cash is dwindling very fast and the advertising pages are drying up. And then a a miraculous thing happened. Uh, In the midst of all of it, we saw this uplift in sales, and I think what happened was here we were as an international title uh, reaching a uh, a variety of markets, but we weren't a very big out-of-pocket spend. Uh, So what happened is I think a lot of the traditional news weeklies, who were incredibly expensive, they lost advertising. But people thought, I still want to be in the game. I still want to be able to reach uh, an international customer, and um, and I I want to be present. And Monocle turned out to be uh, an interesting buy for people. The other thing that happened, though, was I think we were always showing an optimistic view of the world. It was a car crash in many markets, 
But, you know, it wasn't bad in Australia. It wasn't bad in Canada. Uh, and so, yes, it was, you know, in, in you know, some of our leading markets, it wasn't great. But it wasn't the case all over the world. And I think we've, we've always, and I think it's been the success of the magazine for the last decade, from a commercial point of view, there's always a bright spot in the world. And, and those are the markets that, of course, we try to capitalize on. So over the last year, um, print advertising seems to have taken a battering. Uh, and digital advertising has taken a battering. Well, how, how's your revenue model revenue model working now? Where did your money come from? Sure. Uh, so the vast majority uh, is still uh, money on paper. So it is it is print advertising. Digital has grown. Uh, obviously, we run a twenty four hour radio station now as well, which is you know has also worked incredibly well. But the you know you take the tally at the end of every month, it's still the magazine. So we closed last year up eight yep. percent, um, primarily driven by print. Yep. Uh, and the bumper issue that you saw right now was twenty eight percent up uh, on advertising from last year, and that's only counting that issue. So, so what? So why is that? Why is display advertising still working for you when the Economist and people like that are trying to get out of it seemingly as quickly as they can? Well, I mean, The Economist has been trying to do lots of things um, as quickly as he can, um, but that's another story. I think that uh, you know, we've done um, a variety of things, and I think one is when we talk about advertising, it's a mix of traditional display, but also you know, we do a lot of advertorials um, as well, and, and that's been a, a really significant area of growth. But nevertheless, we still get the, the big campaigns, and I think part of it is that we... You know, it is you know it is a price issue. We're not cheap, um, but people get good reach with our magazine, uh, and so you can be a U.S. advertiser and want to reach the world, and you can come into Monocle and you just pay once, as opposed to saying, "Oh, I've got to pay for a Southeast Asian edition. I've got to pay for you know a variety of other issues from around the world." You know, you buy us once, and and you get the globe. You've got a circulation of eighty thousand. Yeah, I think it's about twelve thousand in the UK. So. Quite a small part of the overall pies in the UK. Where's the rest of it? So, uh, US is number one um, by far. Then it goes UK. Um, Then it's thank God for the Aussies because Australia is number three. And then we have, um, you'll see today at our conference, uh, there's a lot of Germany um, in this conference. And the German market and Canada sort of duke it out for the fourth and fifth place. Um, And then you've got two other important APAC markets, Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, And then in that mix, then you also get uh, Portugal. Italy and France uh, round out the top ten. And who are the monocle readers? Who, who are they? Who's your, typ- your typical reader, if you like? Um, I think if you looked at the, the science, uh, when we do readership surveys, uh, you would find a gentleman uh, probably just pushing 40. Uh, he'd be 70% of the audience. The overwhelming uh, majority of, of those group of gents would work in finance um, or related uh, service fields close to finance. <coughs> um, I think the next tranche would be entrepreneurs. Um, I think we have a lot of people who are are just are, are sole business owners uh, running and, and doing their, their own thing. Um, so they're sort of another sort of significant uh, tranche of, of, of our audience. And when you launched, uh, we reported that you had an editorial team of 18. Yeah. So how many, how many have you got now, do you think, on the editorial side? Andrew, are we... Uh, so uh, right now we are about 55 uh, editorial people all in. Yeah, so we're 120 staff all in told. Yeah. And yeah, about 55, 60 editorial staff, 30 correspondents, many of whom are working for us, probably 80-90% of their working week just for Monocle. So it's a huge network, which means that when we look around the world, the number of bureau we have, we actually have more people on the ground than many big news organizations these days. Wow. Okay. 
And, uh, and I will also report that I think you had seven million euros of investment when you began. So no, less than that. Was it less than no, that? No, no. So we had, um, we had, we had capital, well, we, we had a valuation of 10 million pounds for the business when we started. Yeah. And we had three million, so we had three million in the bank to start. Okay. Um, and have you paid that back now? Are you in profit? I mean, I, yeah, I yeah, we... we've been in profit since, goodness, after year four. Yeah, profitable since year four. So. I don't know whether you reveal how much profit you make, do you? Or, or can you, can you give us a rough idea? It's a beautiful idea? thing about being a family company, <laughs> which is nice. We don't have to reveal that. But you probably know that, that we sold a small percentage to Nikkei yeah. two years ago, and there was a, a public valuation well, of 115 million for the what? business now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, looking back over the last decade, I mean, what are the uh, high points for you journalistically? Are there any investigations or reports or features that kind of stick out that you think, well... Goodness. Um, I mean, I can think back to everything from having the first interview when no one knew who Sarah Palin was. Uh, David Osborne, who was working for the... Uh, well, still works for The Independent, I guess, or uh, up to a point, um, asked us for some money to go up to Alaska uh, to, do, to do a piece. Um, so that's, like, really rewinding the clock uh, way, way back. Um, but so I think I'm, you just have to jump to this issue, and you look at... You know, we have an interview with Emmanuel Macron, one of the, the biggest interviews that he has done for an English-language paper. Yeah. You know, really clear words about what he thinks about Brexit, done by Christine Ocran, an amazing journalist. We have Tyler's done a really extraordinary sit-down with uh, Carsten Spohr, who runs Lufthansa. Again, the working inside of a German company. So what's interesting is we're not an English magazine. We're, we're very much a European magazine, and we get people coming to us with stories that wouldn't go just to a straightforward English magazine. So it's, it's got a breadth of content that we feel very excited about delivering to people, especially at a time when lots of people are kind of challenged about what's happening in the US, what's happening around uh, questions in Europe. We're still offering a positive story, a story driven by opportunity, and that's what our readers come to us for. Thanks for that. And I, mean, I was going to ask you, Tyler, about that as well, what you thought about the... Um uh, the future of you know, Monaco, the opportunity for Monaco in the, in the current climate with the kind of rise of nationalism and, uh, you know, news industry under threat, etc. It's all opportunity for us. I just came back from the United States yesterday, and I think the incredible thing is you're on the U.S. West Coast, uh, a, co- a coast uh, which is, of course, very much blue states, uh, and you know, that's a coast which is looking across the Pacific, and it's looking around the world, and you can't be a Nike or an Apple uh, or any of the Hollywood studios. I mean, anyone who we're talking to, they have to look at the world as a market, and the great thing is you know, we see sales growth in America, for example, uh, because there are plenty of entrepreneurs and people who work for major corporations who have to engage with the world. Um, doesn't matter what's happening in Washington. Um, but I think the flip side of that, even if, if you have a more inward-looking D.C., you're still talking about a market of over 300 million people. Um, and as we know from the popular vote, over half of those people uh, voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, and of course, you know, there are also plenty of people, though, who voted for Trump. Uh, who are also internationalists and, and believe in a broader world. So um, we, see it, we see it as a positive, um, 100% for us. And you started off, I think, with a paywall website, or a subscription website. What, what, how's the digital model evolved um, since then, and how does it work now? So we still have a paywall. Um, so that means if you are a subscriber, you can, of course, get full access. And I'm saying that as a, as a print subscriber. So if you subscribe to print, yeah. then you get behind the paywall. Um, and there's, there's no sort of halfway house uh, to get around it. Um, you have to pay up the full rate. Um, and you know, what our strategy has been, our website does three things. It is there to uh, sell subscriptions. 
It is there to sell uh, all of our products on e-commerce. And the, the third thing it needs to, to do and deliver um, is, is that it's, it's there as the platform for our radio and video. Um, and primarily it's become, obviously, the, the antenna for our, our, radio, uh, our radio service. What, and uh, how do you see the sort of future for serious uh, print or serious journalism full stop in the, in the commercial sector at the moment I mean it's just, it seems like a grim time when we write a lot about redundancies and, and uh, the big thing we write about at the moment is the threat from Google Facebook to uh, traditional media yeah. I mean, what, how, how do you see the future of it at the moment I, I think you know the first thing is all of these major news organisations they, they need to decide are Facebook and Google their friends yeah. and I think that we're at a point that a lot of people are now realising a little bit late that maybe they're not uh, their friends they thought that these were you know, great organizations uh, to go and embrace, to drive traffic, etc. And then they realize that these very companies have been eating into their advertising revenue. So I think people need to square uh, whether or not they want to be, be friends with those companies. I think the bigger issue for the major media organizations is I think they have to also decide where do they want to focus their, their resources. And if your newspaper is still making money, if that is in the print edition, if that's still what's throwing off cash, um, and you've got this sort of great, great hope that digital is going to, you know, pay off someday. We can't remember. We were having this discussion 10 years ago still, and people still haven't figured it out. So I think there, you know, a lot of people have to have a moment of reckoning. You know, there, of course, there's plenty of organizations which have very, very deep pockets. They can, you know, make it run, you know, a lot longer. But I think we've even seen the likes of The Guardian thinking, hmm, uh, you know, we might have to rethink things. And, um, and whether that's their paywall uh, or, or where they want to pick their battle, Print versus digital versus you know whatever their other extensions might be. So, final question maybe. I mean, what's the um, what's the future hold for you and for uh, Monocle? Uh, you know, uh, you must you must think. Imagine you're an ambitious person and you know you launch this. I mean, what's what's next for the for the magazine for yourself? Well, I think one area that's uh, of real focus is is more paper, and that's our books area. So, I think the book side of our of our business is something which um, Andrew and a variety of other colleagues have been, been building up. So it's a world of coffee table books. It is a world of guidebooks right now. We want to launch a series of essays. You know, we might have you know, bigger reportage pieces um, that will come out as well. So that is one area that we're looking at. And then I think there's still a room for a variety of just traditional spin-offs from the magazine um, as well. So could we do, you know, could there be a dedicated business special uh, that comes out twice a year? Could we up the frequency of The Escapist to twice a year? So I think that there is also, there's many opportunities, I think, within the world of just, you know, I think pure print. If we think about digital, um, our, fo- our, our focus is fully on, on audio and um, and what we do with radio. So we want to build out a radio schedule, uh, so adding more, adding more programs across the day. Um, you know, we're at a point now that we're putting out as much original news and current affairs um, as, well, actually more than even some BBC channels, um, which is amazing. And that's something that we want to continue to, to build as well. Thanks for that. And sorry, one thing I must ask you is the... Um Print. I mean, looking at the 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 edition you've got at the moment, I've hooked it into my rucksack. It's uh, it's quite a thing to carry around. It's not the most portable thing compared to a mobile phone or even an iPad or something like that. So it's kind of counterintuitive that in this age of tiny gadgets, hmm. uh, a big, glossy, hefty coffee table size style print magazine does so well. Why is that? Do you think? People still want the tactile and and the tangible. I mean, that does that doesn't change. You know, I think people want to, you know, you want to 
sit on a, a comfortable uh, sofa which is well upholstered. Um, I think in, in the same way that you you know you want to have a good linen napkin in your hand, you want to be able to hold on to a fantastic book, a fantastic magazine. You know, I think that snap between your fingertips doesn't change. I think we're also seeing a whole body of work that's coming out about retention and engagement. I mean, to just be sort of constantly sort of swiping your index finger across a backlit screen, I think we're real, you know, I think everyone is realizing is not that uh, fulfilling. And if you want to, you know, engage with our brand that way, you can as well. I mean, every morning we put out the Monocle Minute, uh, you know, five to six stories of great original reporting by all of our bureaus. So, yeah, if you want to just be, be with our magazine on the fly, you can do that as well. But it's not the core part of our business. But it's, of course, it's a wonderful byproduct. Well, look, thanks very much indeed for your time. Uh, congratulations on the, de- on the decade. Good luck for the next. Thank next you. One. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns it's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.